<laughs> well, I, I, I appreciate that. I do want to tell the visiting group, please come back when Dwayne is here. He will bless your socks off. I'm going to start by blessing the shoes off, so let's make it easy. <laughs> Mark chapter 4, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we open up your word, Father God, open up our hearts. Speak to us individually where we're at. Speak to us as a church where we're at. We thank you, Father God, for your goodness and your mercy and your love towards us. We thank you for changing us into your images. We behold your glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, not only do I believe that we as a church have been given a mandate since Jubilee to get out of the huddle and go run the play, I think that's a mandate for the church of the living God as a whole, that we've got to stop waiting for other people to make a change in our world, and we need to be the change. One of the things I know about sports, specifically, we'll talk about football here for just a second, is that if you know the defense of the enemy, you can run the proper play and make an advancement with the ball. If you know they're going to blitz, and so that means everybody's coming in to try to get ahead of the game and get the ball, get somebody behind the line, if you step back and throw a pitch over just a little ways, there's nobody to stop them after you get past that distance because they've all run forward. If you know that the defense is going to come in from the right side, strong on the right side and bring a bunch of people in. You can go to the left side and avoid many of the enemies trying to bring you down. Well, Mark chapter 4 gives us some defensive plays of the enemy. And if I know anything about the enemy, he doesn't need any new tricks because the old ones work really, really well. And so we're going to look at the parable of the sower. And I'm going to ask you to pay attention because we have a tendency to go, oh, I've heard that, I know where he's going, and you don't. And we need to stay open. Here's what I know, and I want to start out by sharing with you. We have this mindset as a whole when we read the sower. We know that this word is the seed that's being sown. We know that the ground represents different hearts. But we believe in our heart, most of us, that we're either good ground or we're thorny ground or we're stony ground. And a lot of people believe you start out ground that doesn't receive it all and you work your way up to be in good ground. I'm here to tell you that you can be any one of these grounds at any given time. And I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove it to you. And, and you're going to have to be brave because I'm going to be real bold this morning. If I preach from Ephesians 6.1 and I say... Children, obey your parents in the Lord. All the parents hit their teenagers and go, you need to be paying attention. That's good preaching. <laughs> if I go just a few verses down where it says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. The young people are like, are you listening, bad? Are you listening? I'm going to memorize that scripture, put it on the refrigerator. Good preaching. I like that, pastor. Or we could get really, really where the rubber meets the road, and we can start talking about husbands loving wives. Amen. Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, you love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and was willing to give himself for it. <clears throat> and all the women said, Amen. love that Pastor Lee, man. <laughs> okay, so what about, what about Proverbs chapter 5? verses 18 and 19, where it says, live joyfully with the wife of thy youth, 
And then verse 19, let her breasts satisfy thee all at all times. Amen. See, son, you want your husbands to memorize verse, pick the right ones. All of a sudden, revival broke out in the men's group. And the women became the hard ground. See, we, we can be any of these grounds, and we can be them. Even throughout this message, you may end up being one of those various grounds as we go through. It's the power of God's Word. And so, just because you feel like you were really good ground yesterday doesn't mean you're really good ground today. And so, we need to stay open to what God is saying. And I'm going to show you the defense of the enemy, and then what's our response? What's the playbook? Verse 4, and it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it. In the explanation farther down, he says, those fowls of the air, they're the devil. He came and he stole the word before it had an opportunity to bear any fruit at all. Our response is to stay receptive. To be willing to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying, no matter who is saying it. Now, we're going to separate some grounds here really quickly. I have watched God use the people on this platform during transition, give a word that would change a human life through a woman. I see some, it's like, whoa, whoa, wait, a woman? Yeah. It is amazing to me, it really is amazing to me that we will allow our children to be taught by a Sunday school teacher who's a woman till the age of 15 or something, and then suddenly we change our mind. But we let that woman pour into our children when they're at their most vulnerable age, at their most receptive age. See how quiet it gets? It's like, I told you I was going to be bold. You need to be willing to receive from a woman. Uh, for you married men, that's really important. <laughs> if you want to stay married. <laughs> Our first act as a human being, both naturally and spiritually, is to receive. And not only to receive, but to receive the breath of life. When you were born into this world, your first act was not to cry. Your first act was actually to inhale before you could cry. You have to receive before you can give. When you were born again and you gave your heart to the Lord, you were breathed God's life on the inside of you. You became a new creature. You had to breathe in this new life before you could give it out. So our first act, both naturally and spiritually, is to receive. And let me just say to you, the fastest growing minds on the planet... Our children. Because they're inquisitive and they don't mind asking questions. As a matter of fact, they will wear you out with questions. And they don't believe there's any such thing as a stupid question. There's just questions. Why is the sky blue? Why are the clouds white? Why is the water so close to the, to the shore? Why does that cloud look like Papa? Why does that guy have a big nose? I, they just ask. But because they're willing to ask and receive, they continue to grow. They grow exponentially. 
Because they're humble. Write it down in your notes. Put that on your refrigerator. They receive and continue to grow because they are in a humble state. We as adults reach this place where we feel we're mature. And suddenly we know some stuff. And then we become unreceptive. We become unwilling to let people speak into our life. And we refuse to ask questions because we don't want to look stupid. And then we look stupid because we made a mistake because we didn't ask the right question. We have to stay receptive. If the enemy can get you offended, oh, it's Pastor Lee. I don't like him. I like Pastor Dwayne. And you're offended, you will miss out on the word God has for you. Many people miss out on their miracle because they don't like the method God brought it to them. I have news for you. God used a donkey to change a man's life in the Old Testament. He, I promise you, he's still using donkeys. Just, just saying. We have to stay receptive. But I think the bigger problem is we don't realize there are levels of receiving. And we think because we have something, we've received it. If you go to the store today or you go afterwards to eat the cheeseburger that they're offering in the plates, if you go to get that and you get your plate, you have received your meal. If you sit down with your meal and watch that meal all the time and then get up and leave with the meal uneaten, you have not fully received what was given to you. You received it in one level, but you didn't receive it in its fullest level. If you go to the pharmacy and you get medication, you have received your medication. But if you don't take it, it's unable to help you because you have not received it fully. Many, many people have received a Bible, but they haven't received the contents. Go ahead. One of the best ways you can know you have received something is if it's changed you, if it's had its effect on you. If you eat and you go, oh, honey, I can't eat anymore, guess what? You received the meal. It's changed you. It's changed your outlook. It's changed your view. It's changed your will because you've received it fully. Lots of people have a Bible, but they don't meditate on God's Word. They don't receive it fully. And it's unable to do what it was meant to do in their lives because they haven't received it at its highest level. And so we need to be willing always to receive what the Lord is saying to us. Male, female, young, old. You can learn from your children. My children showed me unconditional love way more than any teaching I ever heard. You have to be willing, though, to receive. Now... Here's some problems I've run into with people receiving. And if you're guilty, you can change. You can receive this word today. A lot of people do not receive truth that can change their life because they gather people around them that think like they think. And they say, well, I'm safe because we all agree. Write this down in your notes. Put this on your refrigerator. The multitude is seldom right. Just because you've gathered people together who agree with you doesn't make you right. 
Listen, people have gathered together and waited on the side of a hill for Martians to come get them. Just because they were in agreement doesn't mean they were right. So lots of people, some of the best things you can do for your growth in God is to get some friends who don't agree with you. So that you can understand and really dig down deep and find out why you actually believe what you believe and that you don't believe it just because somebody said it. Amen. Joyce, your check's in the mail. Here's the biggest thing I have found in this generation, though, that really does get to me. But, Pastor, I Googled it. Forget what the Word of God says. We trust Google more than we do God. That's an issue for me. Here's part of the reason it's an issue for me. is because Google is a misprint. Google is actually supposed to be the word Google, G-O-O-G-O-L. It is a mathematical number. It is one with 100 zeros after it. That's called Google. And that's what they wanted as the name for their company because they wanted the impression that you could get a whole lot of information from here. And so somewhere in the transition of this whole thing, it went from the mathematical term to the term you now Google. So I have a real hard time receiving from anybody who doesn't even know how to spell their own name. <laughs> Just saying. Caused me a little bit of issue. But, and I have, they're as sincere as they can be, and they're argumentative about it. Yeah, I know what the Word of God says, but Google says... As if Google trumps God. It's a problem. And we're willing to receive from areas that are going to affect us negatively instead of from the God who actually cares about us. Here's another problem with receiving. Is that many people think they are submissive, willing to receive. I'm submissive to my pastor. I'm submissive to my husband. When they're not really submissive at all, they're in agreement. And there's a difference. And I see it all the time. People in this church, Pastor, I'm submitted to you. I'm, I'm, I'm a good sheep. I'm submitted to y'all. Until they disagree with one thing that's said. And then 30 years of pouring into them is thrown out the window for one thing they don't agree with. That is not submission. That's just agreement. They stuck with us as long as they were in agreement, but the second that we disagreed with them, out they went. Yeah. Women think they are submissive to their husbands. I'm submissive to my husband, Pastor. I let him buy the van. No. No, you were in agreement. You are in submission when you let him buy the motorcycle. It is amazing to me how women are drawn to the dangerous man and then on the instant of marriage, they want to make him tame. They're drawn to him on the motorcycle, but as soon as he gets married, oh, I'm afraid you need to get rid of that motorcycle. You, you might get killed on that motorcycle. I might get killed sitting in my house as a plane fell out of the sky. We live in a dangerous world. We're, we think we're in submission. But really, we're not. We're just in agreement. And I encourage you, submission is not submission until you disagree with the decision. Then, and only then, 
Is it submission? So we need to stay submissive, and the reason that's important is because that allows us to continue to receive. You know, I've heard Dwayne now for 30-plus years, and many messages I've heard again and again, but it's always new and always relevant because he's growing. But lots of people, as soon as they hear a particular verse, they shut down. I know where he's going. I know what he's going to say. And they no longer are receptive. Now, I'm going to say this, and I want you to hear me. If you're hearing this message again, it's God's way of saying you probably didn't get it the first time. And if this is like the fifth or sixth time you've heard a message like this, you might want to take better notes. You might actually want to consider applying what you've heard because the Lord will keep sowing the same seed till it gets in your heart and makes a difference. Verse 5. And some seed fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Our response to this defense is to get rooted and grounded. To have a depth in God that makes us solid when the winds of adversity blow against us. I'm extremely concerned about the body of Christ in America as a whole. Because we are sissies. I just cast down 15 thoughts. Thank you, Jesus. People all the time, Pastor, I'm ready to go fight the devil. Who are you kidding? You won't even show up when it's raining outside. You fight the devil? Pastor, I'm, I'm ready, man. I'm, I, I'm with you. No, you're not. You, you get offended if somebody tells you you need a breath mint. Jesus looks at a man and he says, you don't even know what spirit you're of. You're of the devil and you don't even know it. And we think we want to walk with Jesus? Yeah, see how quiet it gets? We are so panty-waste. We have no glorious guts at all. No Holy Ghost backbone at all. We, we, we want a life that's pleasing to us instead of a life that is meaningful for us. We let the silliest of things keep us from following God. If Pastor Zach shows up on a Wednesday, man, you all of a sudden, you can't receive now because it's Pastor Zach and it's not Dwayne or it's not this. Or I show up and then it's like, oh my goodness, we're all in trouble. <laughs> we have no guts. And it's what, listen, the homosexuals have a bigger backbone than we do because they are willing to stand for their cause no matter how much humiliation. And we... The second somebody persecutes us, we're like, I, oh, ah, oh, you big baby. Here's a bottle till you grow up. Some of you are already offended. You clapped because you didn't want to be singled out. That's just, it's amazing to me. And the way I see it the most, because this is on the far end of things, though, is how many people are out of church today because of a loss of a loved one? They don't know how to handle it. I have news for you. We are all going to die. 
We have an expiration date. Well, pastor, I'm believing for 120 years. So has everybody else that I know. And most of them didn't live past 100. And we get mad at God because God took grandma. Grandma was 99 years old. Served God 80 of those years. Was a pillar in the church. She was ready to go. And she dies and goes to heaven. And we're mad at God because God took your grandmother. You big sissy. We got to understand that's a part of life. It doesn't feel good. It hurts. I get it. Where is the faith in the Bible? Where in Hebrews 11 it says, this is the chapter of faith, by the way. By faith, they subdued kingdoms. By faith, they wrought righteousness. By faith, they escaped the edge of the sword. You go, preacher. We like that kind of preaching. Well, let's go on. And still others wandered about in sheepskins, destitute, were sawn in half. See how many amens I got on that? We was all wound up until we got to the... The Bible says, these all received a good report of faith, not having received the promise. What promise? It doesn't matter. They were believing for something they didn't get, and they believed for it their whole life, and yet God said to them, they had faith. We think, yeah, that's a welfare clap, it's okay, I'll let that go for the... We believe that if I believe for glasses and I get glasses, I had faith. Hebrews 11 says you could believe for glasses your whole life and not get them, but if you believe to the end, it would be accounted unto you for faith. Now, because Job didn't know there was a devil, he said, when all the stuff happened to him, he lost his kids, he lost his income, his, lost his health, his body was attacked. His wife turned on him and said, just curse God and die. Thank you for the wonderful support, honey. <laughs> After all that, Job says, because he didn't know there was a devil. You and I get the account, we read the whole picture, we know there was an enemy. He didn't know that. And so with that lack of information, he said, yea, though he slay me. Yet will I trust him. Where is that kind of faith today? That we will trust God no matter what's going on. That even when things don't make sense, we don't let it talk us out of what we know. Only in the Christian realm do we let what we don't know affect what we do know. How many of you have an iPhone? The rest of you need to get saved. What makes that iPhone work? Well, pastor, you push the button. Okay. I push the button. What makes it work? We don't know. We don't know what makes it work. We just know when I push the button, I can call anybody. How many of you used a microwave? What makes a microwave work? Microwaves. Molecules being pushed to and from, creating friction that heats stuff up. We don't let the fact that we don't understand the microwave keep us from using it. We push the button, heat up our stuff, and go, man, that's awesome. 
How many of you ladies drove in a car to church today? What makes it work? The key. That's what I hear all about the key. Women have no idea what makes that car. If they knew that their car was exploding thousands of times a minute, they would never drive it. They don't know what makes it work. They put the key in and turn it. It's, we don't let in any other realm, only in Christianity. When something happens that we don't understand, do we throw in the towel and go, you can't trust it? Do we let what we don't know affect what we do know? Now, the Bible says this. Over and over, we as the children of God are seen as trees, portrayed as trees, cedar trees, fig trees, on and on it goes. In Psalms, the one that most of you would know, the, the guy that follows God will be like a tree planted by the river. We're, we're supposed to be like trees. Well, fig trees have a deep root system. One fig tree they found had a root system 400 feet deep. They literally, if I remember the story right, they were in a cave and their roots are falling from the ceiling of this cave. They know this cave's way underground. 400 feet, that fig tree had found its way to the opening in that cave. We need some depth in our relationship with God. We need to be anchored so that we're not easily uprooted by trials and tribulations and things we don't understand. Another tree is a sequoia tree, the great, big, tall sequoias. They're, they're impressive. You would think they had a root system that even went deeper, but they don't. Their root system goes out. One sycamore, sic, sequoia. I always want to say sycamore because that's another tree that we're... A sequoia, one root system can go out an acre all on its own. But sequoias grow next to one another. And because one sequoia can go out an acre and another sequoia out an acre, they start intertwining their root systems together. And they're held up not only by the root systems going down and out, but by the sequoia next to them. I think that connects us to our width in relationships. We need to have a depth in God, but then we need a width in our relationships with people. We need covenant relationships. People who will be honest with us. Not people who will talk all the superficial stuff. We, we are notorious for talking about things that have no validity. That have no sense of weight to them. I mean, we talk to people all the time. How you doing? Doing fine. Hey, it sure is hot outside. Like, I didn't know, right? Yeah, you're right. It's hot. How you doing? Fine. Okay, and then we're on. Well, sequoias go out and connect, and they're intertwined in such a way that if it was people, when you said fine, they would say, really? And dig deep and not let you lie to them. But press, how's your relationship with your wife? Oh, you know, it's okay. No, I don't know. Tell me, what does okay look like? Well, we're, we're still married. That's a really poor feedback. <laughs> That's more about her covenant than yours. You know when you have a covenant relationship when they're willing to be honest with you. 
Now, some of you might not get this, but I have genuine covenant relationships. People who have proven over a period of time they would literally lay down their life for me and vice versa. But I went to one of them the other day and I asked him how you're doing and he said, terrible. And I said, great. And he looked up at me. I told him, I said, I would hate for you to look that bad and you be well. <laughs> See, that, that's covenant relationship. He was really sick and he needed somebody to pray for him. But when he fed back that he was feeling ill, I had more confidence to pray for him. That just wasn't a bad hair day for him. It was really bad. We need people who will love us enough to tell us we're stupid when we're stupid who will pull us back when we're headed in the wrong direction and say, no, you don't want to do that. Yes, I do. Thanks. You needed that. I watch our culture. This, we think, is social connection. This is the anti-social social media. It's a deceiver. You think you have a thousand friends, but when you have need, you have no friends. <laughs> Pastor Jacob did a great job of sharing. We need face-to-face -face relationships where we create a sacred space between us, where we truly are for one another, and we're digging deep, and we're honest with one another. We're not just talking superficial stuff. When we're in need, we can count on them. Now, here, here's leology. I'll, I'll put it down as leology. I think you need at least four friends. Here's why. Because when the wind blows this way, there's somebody to hold you. When you blow this way, there's somebody to hold you. When you blow this way, there's somebody to hold you. When you blow this way, there's somebody to hold you. So if you only have three friends, you're really vulnerable on one side. We don't, we have forgot how to fully engage in relationships today. We are so busy, we don't have time to build the relationships we need. And then we wonder why nobody is there for us in the times of difficulty. Listen, a true friend will be with you when times are hard, not worried about what to say, but doing the right thing. Let me just say this. This is hard stuff. And, and again, part of my purpose on this planet is to challenge and change and cheer. I'm going to challenge. Please don't abandon your friends when they lose a loved one because you don't know what to say. I've been doing this 40 plus years. I do 50 funerals a year. I never know what to say. I don't ever go with the pre-programmed idea of here's what I'm going to say because it's pre-programmed. It will come out superficial. It will come out without meaning. It will come out without any weight to it because it's pre-programmed. I just go. I believe Maya Angelou said it best. She said, I have found, I have learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But they will never forget how you made them feel. So I go with the whole intent. My whole goal is to make them feel loved. Period. Too many of us, it's that desire to be away from pain again. We avoid our friends because of our pain, not because of theirs, because we don't know how to deal with their loss, so we avoid them. That's not love, saints. 
You need covenant relationships. When you're going through difficulties, hard times, they have staked themselves next to you. They may not know what to say, but they're for you. You know it. They're standing right next to you. That's what we need. And instead, we have exchanged it for emojis. You know, they have a, a Bible emoji now. It's a Bible that has emojis for the different things you should be feeling when you're reading this. Now, if you ask me, that's taking it a little bit far. If you ask me, I think we're pushing the envelope a little bit about a Bible that's actually going to change lives. But it's the culture we live in. Rather than me actually cry in your presence, I will send you an emoji crying. Rather than laugh in your presence, I will send you a smiley face emoji. We have traded a real laugh for a LOL. I've said this before, I'll say it again. I like the lady that laughs and then snorts. She can't help it. It's, it's her, who she is. She would try to change it, but she starts to laugh. And I... <laughs> it cracks me up. You're not going to get that like this. We need face-to-face -face sacred space. It's a proven fact that the sequoias on the outside are the ones that are most susceptible to the winds of adversity. The people who don't make it in the Christian realm are the ones who are on the outskirts, who haven't built genuine covenant relationships. I know relationships are messy. I know they are. Write this down in your notes. People are crazy. But it's a universal sickness. I promise you, they're crazy everywhere. McAllister included. <laughs> Ask the pastor. Here, here's the truth. You are somebody's crazy. You just don't know it because you're crazy. We need to work through it and love one another for who God's called them to be. Amen? Amen. Verse 7. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. Our part is to stay focused. This is the most disjointed culture of all eternity. We are so busy. We are so disjointed. We are going so many directions at the same time. We're not going anywhere all at the same time. We don't know how to stay focused. Squirrel! Some of y'all, bless your heart, you, you think you're such a great Christian because when you go to lunch with people, you at least put your phone face down. And yet, we all hear to go, and you're looking at me, but then you're... Our job is to stay focused on the things that are eternal. All the things that are distractive, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, those are all temporal things. We need to stay focused on the things that have eternal value and purpose. And let me just give you one of those. Family. Family. It needs to be a priority. 
Because the only thing on this planet that actually has eternal value are people. Everything else is temporal. The cars you drive, I don't care how fancy they are, are going to end up in a junkyard. The clothes you wear one day are going to wax a car. The only thing that has eternal value is people. So we need to stay focused on the things that really matter. And then verse 8, and still other ground was good ground. And it yielded 30, 60, and 100 fold. That used to wear me out because it's good ground and it's good soil, but at 30, 60, and 100. I think there's lots of reasons for that, but the main one is I think it's what you do with the word after you've heard it. After you've received it, what have you done with it? Write these scriptures down James 1 23, Mark 4 25, and Matthew 25 28. It basically comes down to this. God gives you something, and he expects you to use it. And if you will use it 30-fold, if you will use what you've been given, he'll give you more. The story of the talents is about the good steward who gave each one some talents. And the one who hid it, he took it from him and gave it to the one, not that gained partial, but the one that gained the most. That's, that's politically incorrect, which is why I know it's biblically right. He, he took the one from the guy that hid it and gave it to the guy that had ten. Why? Because the guy that had ten had proven he would use what he's been given. I've been in the ministry a long time, and when I need something done, I do not look for people who don't have anything to do. They've already proven, write it down, they're lazy. When I want something done, I find somebody who's already doing something, and I ask them, can you do this for me? Because they have proven they will work with what they've been given. You take a Pastor Tim who's here today, let me honor him. If I had 50 Tims, I'd run for office and win. That guy's a worker. If I ask him to do something, he is going to go do it. And it's not because he doesn't have anything to do. He's busy. That's why he'll get it done. I hear all the reasons why we can't do something. All the excuses. Benjamin Franklin said this, the people who are good at making excuses are seldom good at anything else. I've been given a talent. And it took me a long time to figure out it was a talent. My single most talent is to talk. I like to talk. I talk when no one's listening. I used to get spankings for talking, and it didn't even slow me down. I'm not here because I'm more qualified. I'm here because I'm willing. God gave me a talent. I said, okay, I'll talk. And he has set me in front of people, and I talk. And he set me in front of other people, and I talk. And then he helped somebody create a thing called Facebook, and guess what? I get to talk. And now thousands of people are watching it. I get to talk one time and thousands of people are hearing it. I don't have to do it a thousand times over again. It's pretty cool. You think I'm here because I sin less than you. Some of you right now are like, you mean you don't? I'll just let you think about that. I'm here because I've used what I've been given. And people are notorious for just making excuses, whining and complaining. 
I, 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 can't, I just can't speak in front of people, and man, I can't sing, and I, I don't know how to play an instrument, and I just, on and on it goes. Well, the first thing you can start doing to help your world is stop murmuring and complaining. Stop whining. That's helping nobody. Yeah. I, I think a lot of times in church I want to hand out cheese and bread to go along with all the wine. I don't know what gifts, talents you've been given. I know something, though, one thing everybody in here could do that would change lives around the world. Are you ready to hear it? Good, because you're going to be held accountable to it. Share your testimony. I don't know what God has done in your life. I don't know how, what got you here and your level of relationship with God. I don't know what God is doing in your marriage right now or what he's doing between you and your children. But I know God is moving, and if you will share what God is doing in your life, what he has done in your life, it has the power to change lives around the world. Yeah. Okay. I've got to wind down. Revelations eleven twelve, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they loved not their life even unto death. Revelations is God's great big DVR. You have a DVR? You get to tape the program, and then you get to watch it later. I always love DVR because when my team wins, I can go watch the game and chill. Because I know they're going to win. It doesn't matter what it looks like in the fourth quarter. The DVR says they're going to win. I can wait. Well, Revelations 11, 12, 11 is we win. And then God's telling us how we did it. How did you beat the devil? You got saved, and you shared your testimony. Tell people what God has done in your life. Tell people what God is doing in your life right now. Well, Pastor Lee, I've only been saved two days. Well, that's two more than the guy you're sharing with. You're twice as smart as he is. Now, JB was very, very eloquent. James Brown. Get out of the huddle. Go run the play. Let me put it in good Oklahoma English. Get off your butt and do something. (laughs) I'm done. (laughs) Pastor Zach, you want to head this way?